So the real defining feature is we took, which for many companies is seven, eight figures of spend, and we put it in five lines of code, which really means we're betting on the fact that we can get enough series A through series C companies to really see the value of security in our product to bootstrap the network effect. Happy Friday and welcome to Not Boring Founders. I'm your host, Packy McCormick, and this is the podcast where we talk to the people who are building the future. Today, we have not one, but two of those people, Eli Watts and Alex Grinman, the co-founders of Footprint. On Wednesday, Footprint announced a $6 million seed round that it just raised, led by Index Ventures. Not Boring Capital participated in the round alongside a group of phenomenal investors, including Box Group, Lair Hippo, Operator Partners, Palm Tree Crew, and a whole host of incredible founder angels like Jack Altman from Lattice, Kareem Atia, our friend from Ramp, Zach and William Hockey from Plaid, Justin Browder from Do Not Pay, and a whole host of other phenomenal investors. Footprint's mission is to bring back trust to the internet by putting people in control of their data, starting with their identity. Personally, I think privacy is one of those really important things that people say they think is really important, but then when push comes to shove, they're not really willing to jump through any hoops to make themselves more secure and increase their privacy on the internet. So Footprint is taking a different approach. To begin with, they built the best KYC experience for companies. It's five lines of code to integrate, uses face ID to get real biometrics, and its one-click capabilities can boost conversion by 50%. But they believe, and I kind of agree, that KYC is becoming commoditized. So their core innovation is their PII, or Personally Identifying Information Security Suite. It's patent-pending technology built to offload the cost and risk of vaulting and encrypting PII, as well as the access controls and audit logs that come with it. The approach is to give companies the easiest way to onboard users and collect PII without actually having to store it themselves or taking on any of that risk, and then building up a passport of all of consumers' information that they can use wherever they go on the internet. The beauty here is that over time, customers will actually be able to have an experience that's both more private and protected and more convenient. Ultimately, though, as is often the case with our early stage investments, this one comes down to the founders. Eli and Alex are both geniuses who both complement each other and have a really great working relationship that I think comes across uh, in this conversation. I think you'll see what I'm talking about by the end of it. There's so much that I love about the way that they're building the company, the way that they're thinking about hiring, and really the commitment to the mission. These guys could be doing practically anything they want, as I think you'll kind of get a sense for by the end of this conversation. And they're dedicating the next decade of their lives to bringing back trust on the internet. Instead of me butchering it, I'll let them explain. So without further ado, enjoy the conversation with Eli Walks and Alex Grinman. Eli and Alex, welcome to Not Boring Founders. Thanks for having us back. It's, it's a pleasure. Great to have you. This is going to be one of those rare three-way conversations on Not Boring Founders. And so I'm going to do my best to air traffic control it here. But having talked to you guys before, I think your pros at doing these joint conversations. So this is going to be a lot of fun. Normally, I start the conversation asking what the world looks like in 10 years if you're maximally successful. I want to take one step back and have you explain what you're doing today. I think it'll add a lot of context to where you think the world is going. So what is Footprint? Yeah. So Footprint, I think for people, ideally, it's the last identity form you ever fill out. Today, if you go to create, whether it's a bank account or get a credit card, you go through this dance where you put in your name, your email, phone number, date of birth, address, social, maybe some other stuff. And it's really a moment of time. And regardless of what happens in the background, it's a lot of kind of like unnecessarily complex thing. 
you have to redo that process entirely the next time. So it's nice that for people, what we're able to do is we, we essentially can give you control of that identity. We tokenize it. The next time you create an account, it's as easy as one click. And we do face ID and we give you that account. For companies, footprint is five lines of code. Not just offloads KYC, they're your customer. It offloads all of this fun security compliance around the data that's collected and that social security numbers are not a fun thing to store. In fact, they're a pretty expensive and risky thing to store. If you're a company and you onboard somebody, you then have to store all of that data, that those six things we just spoke about, even though your marketing team's not doing anything with it. So normally it's a pretty complex stack of vaulting tools, encryption tools, storage tools, kind of access management. And because we store it in our system, which is, has all of that, we really offload that. And I think kind of philosophically what Footprint is, is it's putting people in control of their data. And that's really our mission. It's bringing back trust to the internet by really doing exactly that. And how do you bring back trust to the internet specifically? What will my experience as an internet user look like when Footprint is everywhere and it's just assumed that this is just how the internet works? Yeah, I think Footprint really flips the paradigm of how we interact with the internet today. There's almost this weird system saying that we are treated as if we're kind of a bad actor by default. I mean, that what I mean is when you go to open an account, you're proving that you, Packy, you know, are a good person and, and you, you should have this account. And, and the company treats you as such. And then because that's this approach, at the end of the day, they're holding all this information about you. What Footprint does instead is, and I'll let Alex maybe explain this from a technical perspective, because as the audience will see, I'm speaking first, because once Alex speaks, I'm not going to be wanted back on the mic. He's way smarter. But, you know, we're able to essentially prove that you are who you say you are. And as a result, instead of companies A through Z keeping the data, and making you reprove it every time because you have proven the footprint that you are who you say you are. And we can continuously see that you're the one who's in control. You're the one who's doing face ID. So it's very frictionless, but you're the one who actually, you can go into your footprint wallet if you want. And we don't make you download an app. We're not, we don't want to add any friction, but if you want, not only can you go in and see whenever anybody's accessed your data, not only can you go in and see, you know, an audit trail and kind of revoke permissions if you want, but you also can do cool things with your data. Like I think a lot of why we started footprint was this a, a, a idea that we, we somewhat disagreed with the privacy debate that happened maybe in 2016 and that we're really glad it happened. There are bad things that happen online and we can go really in depth about why there's this scary internet of kind of data abuse. At the same time, we don't want a future where everything, it, because privacy is neglected for so long, that people miss out on a lot of activation and a lot of things on the internet and miss that upside because you can't actually use your data. For example, Google is like the best predictor in the world of who will get parked. And like they, they know that from your recapture tests of your finger tremors and, and your type rate over time. And there's no HIPAA compliance on Gmail, so they can label that. And, and that's scary. Like, I don't think anybody listening that's maybe happy, but it, it would be nice if you actually were in control. I, I had a family member who, who got sick of that. And I remember feeling very helpless and very sad at the same time that, well, there's probably technology that would have known that. And to us, building back trust is putting people in control of their data. And it starts in this very unsexy way of creating a bank account in a really easy way. But over time, you can add things like your income sources. If you own a business, you can add a KYB credential. It's to make the internet really easy for you. And at the same time, by doing that, it's to actually make you, once you're a trusted adapter, you're in control of the experience instead of reproving yourself every time. I guess now's a good time to ask you about your backgrounds. Alex, let's have you jump in here. Where'd, where'd you come from? How'd you get here? Yeah, my background in software and technology kind of stereotypically started programming when I was a kid, kind of really got into software with 
the release of the iPhone, that was the first platform I really started building for. I built a pretty popular app that tracked buses real time in Boston. And that kind of got me hooked on building software for people. It took me to MIT where I studied math and computer science. I ended up focusing in cryptography. I ended up doing my master's with one of the inventors of zero knowledge proofs. And that actually, you know, was the kind of the eye-opening to me of what you could actually do with cryptography in the real world with a little bit of math and computer science. We worked on pretty tough problems like computing on encrypted data for specifically like patient data, right? And there's lots of records, doctor's notes, and it contains interesting insights that you could possibly extract and use it to predict medical procedures or certain medication for people. But all of that data is inaccessible because it's protected and the hospital can't release it. And so what we were focusing on is what if the hospital could encrypt that data, send that encrypted data out, but we can still perform several computations over it to do natural language processing, extract features and properties of the data set. So you could still do those ML computations. So that kind of inspired me to, to really get into cryptography and see if I could unlock a lot of the utility out of it and bring it to the real world. And when I graduated, I started a company in the authentication biometric space, which is very relevant to what we're doing at Footprint. We ended up selling that company in 2019 to Akamai. And after which I, I stayed there for a little bit, launched that product, and then wanted to do the whole startup thing again and, and build something much bigger. And so that, that's how I, how I met Eli. I'll get his background too. Mine's a mind less fun. But like Packy, I'm from Philly. We went to rival high schools, and which I don't know, that's great. I, I kind of grew up and I was... I was both a very big history nerd until I started reading about technology. I started to think that technology was history of real time. In ninth grade, I read this book called Abundance. It's written by Peter Nemanis, who's the founder of XPRIZE. XPRIZE is an organization that does $10 million moonshot competitions. Things that you maybe think aren't possible, and they say, if we put enough money out there, maybe people will solve it. And, and the company's pretty successful. I was very inspired. I, I sent the founder of it a cold email. He, uh, he took pity on me and replied. And I ended up spending the rest of my time in high school, been at a high school version of XRAT. Went to Stanford for undergrad. My freshman year there, I started a company to track flu strains to recommend lockdowns to prevent pandemics. I feel very bad about it in hindsight. If you're looking for niche people to blame wave like 300 that we're on right now, you, you can blame my lack of fortitude there. Very contrary to my vision of using tech to change the world, I, I used tech to put a digital dossier of me literally not changing the world up there, but it was a great experience. And after that, I became really obsessed with this idea of privacy for a lot of the reasons I, I said it at the top and, and obsessed with the idea of how do you put people in control of their data. When I graduated, I worked in venture capital and like all good VCs, I guess, I started to become very interested in enterprise SaaS and fintech APIs and all of the less sexy stuff. And I started to realize that for people to own their data, they had to own their identity. And that kind of is what led to Footprint and my interest in that Alex and I kind of came together as a result. I want to go on a quick aside here. You mentioned that you wrote an email to kind of kick off your career and your investor updates are some of the most unique that I received. They're like somewhere between book reviews, novels themselves and company updates. How did you land on that, that philosophy of email sending? Has that always been how you've sent emails? And then like, I love it. You know, I, I write a lot and I read a lot. What was investor response like? And were you worried about the first one? <laughs> it's a good question. Yeah, I've always loved the, the written word. I, I definitely write too long in general. To me, me I'm, I'm not smart enough to do, to do a lot of other things. So I'm not concise. And I guess I feel if I write enough, people people will just get bored and assume I get to a point somewhere. I think to me, it felt very authentic. Like I'm planning on publishing the investor updates. As you said, they cover everything from, I have one where I speak about partnerships we did, comparing it to weird merchant relationships and the Crusades and the one I'm actually about to publish is about like 
the philosophical and psychological idea of dreams versus reality in our brains, why we often delay going for things when I speak about stealth. And yeah, the first time I wrote it, I, I remember Alex was incredibly supportive. I remember showing it to some other people and they're like, well, this is very you. So we'll see what happens. But to me, it felt very authentic in that I, I think that this is a journey. And I, I think if we just speak about KDIs, there's a lot more that goes into it. And interestingly, like transparently, they've become probably the highest star activity I do, which is probably more so a reflection of the rest of my schedule. I gamify the investor updates. I put a point system at the bottom for like introductions we're looking for. And 90% of the interest we get is week one when people read it, which I find funny. But to me, they're a very authentic piece. And we talk about bringing back trust. And to me, that starts everywhere. Like once we're out of stealth, I want us to fail and succeed in public. When we raised our seed round, I pretty much went through all of the main reasons we would fail with investors on calls. I love for, it. For, for interviews, like with Ken, I do the same thing. Everything's public in our notion. I guess my belief is that if we're going to ask you to trust us with your social, you should probably know a bit about what I am. And you may not like what you find. You probably won't. But I, I think that the investor updates are a bit of that and showing just the personality and just how, how we think about things. Always find it useful to just fully put yourself out there a little bit. And you just save save time. I mean, when I've raised the funds, because I write not boring, some people are just like, nah, I don't want to talk to you. And that's great. That saves both of us time. And then other people are, are more familiar when we start. So I, I love that. I'm going to put you on the spot then. What are the reasons that you might fail? Let's be really transparent. Yeah, I, I think people will often say we won't hit our, our upside if we have a cold start problem. People and, and us included, if we don't get everybody on footprint, there are a lot of really big companies that say what you've built is really cool. The security feature is really neat. We spent tens of millions of dollars building it though already. So come back when you have the network effect. For us, we understand that we will not likely be able to sell to the biggest companies. It, it just in that we think our product essentially is incrementally better across a lot of areas. But the real defining feature is we took, which for many companies is seven, eight figures of spend, and, and we put it in five lines of code, which really means we're betting on the fact that we can get enough Series A through Series C companies to really see the value of security in our product to bootstrap the network effect. We have interesting pricing levers in there as well. We charge more for what we call one-click KYC just because drop-offs anywhere from 50 to 70% really for forms. So we think given that the LTV is often the hundreds of dollars, it's fair to charge more for that guarantee. And if you onboard a user, we actually give you a share of that network effect. So in a weird way, if you're an early user to foot, not only do you get all of this value, we think it's incrementally more accurate because we're using the same data as our competitors. We're very honest. We There's no crazy machine learning in the background. We're processing the same data as our competitors. We have Face ID and we have a couple of other proprietary cell phone features. So we think all of this is there, but we're really betting that we can get enough people to want to offload security that it essentially bootstraps the network effect of the identity. That's one. Two is also, we have to break, we have to build trust. We can't just assume that people will trust us. That And we don't take lightly what we're asking people to do. We think that we're saying instead of 80 people storing your data and you don't know what they do with it, what if it's one? And that sounds really nice on paper, but you know, we, we have to do that and we have to get them to believe us. It's interesting having this conversation, knowing that you are very much not a crypto company or a Web3 company, or it depends how you define crypto, I guess, but you've used words like tokenization, which is different here, building trust. So trust is obviously a big word, sharing value with the early users, zero knowledge proofs. Like you're using a lot of the same vocabulary that I'm familiar with from talking to crypto companies all of the time. 
I don't even know if I have a point here, but it's just something that (laughs) struck me like, yeah, is there anything kind of like philosophical and even the data ownership and people being able to kind of use and control their own data, like feels very philosophically aligned with a lot of the companies that I talk to. I think it's extremely philosophically aligned. And let me pass it to Alex to maybe talk about what that underlying technology looks like. But we agree. We we used to jokingly say we're Web 2.25 in that we we have all of this ethos and we really feel aligned with Web web 3 in a way, but it, it is built kind of on these underlying cryptographic principles. But let me pass it to Alex to maybe bring a bit of transparency to what we mean when we use those terms. Yeah, it's it's interesting. There's a lot of really cool kind of properties of Web3, but there's friction in that you have these regulations you have to be compliant with. Auditors can come in and ask you to, to show them your user's information. And, and that's sort of this double-edged sword. Well, if you don't have access to it because it's encrypted on a blockchain or something, then how do you satisfy those? And so what we want to do is provide that middle layer where we play on the web two side where we, we handle regulation and compliance for you kind of all those boring bits by just implementing really modern cryptographic system security principles to, to use the latest technologies to make sure that data is safe, but also do things in a way where our end users have this bit of control. And the way we give them that control is that they own a part of the cryptographic key that unlocks their vault. And so what that means is we have really strong authentication where the user can see a full access log of who's accessing their data, they can revoke access to certain data attributes and they have this strong cryptographic credential that's bound to like face id and you know latest biometric technology to actually make sure that's convenient and secure but what that means is that we can actually provide this sort of in-between layer where let's say a web3 company needs to participate in kyc in order to do a transaction right if the government comes and says you, you know coinbase you can only transact between addresses that have a proof of kyc attached to them that's something that footprint can actually do we can provide coinbase or or any exchange or any wallet with a proof, a cryptographic proof that doesn't include any PI data that says that this address is bound to this KYC identity and Footprint actually can hold that identity. And so if something goes wrong and you need to go to the regulators come in and, you know, subpoenas get filed, bad stuff goes on, there's proof of, you know, foul play. Well, they can go, they can say, we don't have this data, you know, and they don't have to collect it from their users. And they can just say, Footprint is the custodian of this linkage between this KYC proof and this actual database of who that person is. And so Footprint becomes this trusted source that you can go to to unlock who that user is in the case of a proof of foul play. And there's sort of this in-between line that, that comes up, which is on the one hand, it's nice because you can use all these different financial products without necessarily giving them direct access to store copies of all of your data. But at the same time, you're also playing with the regulations and you continue using those services because if something does go wrong, all of those organizations without having access to the data can still talk to the regulators and pass on this this token and say, here's this proof of KYC, go talk to Footprint, they'll, they'll tell you who that is. And so we build trust with the users because we won't be giving out their information. We're never selling any data, but at the same time, we're uh, allowing them to participate in these financial systems without breaking any kind of regulations. The word trust came up again just at the end of that answer. I think it's fascinating. How do you do that? Like the education piece, actually, I'm going to ask you after this kind of what's very hard technically, because this is clearly a problem that a lot of companies have, and it's not been built well yet. And so there must be something very, very, very hard here. But on the trust and education piece, how do you start from a cold start at zero and convince people to trust you, whether that's an individual or a company? Yeah, I'll take the maybe slightly easier one and I will selfishly punt on the technology to to Alex. But I, I think part of our trust comes by default in that whether you like it or not, when you sign up for Robinhood or a Chase bank account or to get a credit card through do not pay or card 
you have to fill out the form and, and you, you sign consent that somebody will store the data. For us, trust becomes something where you don't want to take it for granted. We want to be much more out there in that this is what's happening. Normally, you just fill it on. You don't really know what happens. Part of the way we do it is by this natural thing of, you know, you have to do this to create an account. But that said, pretty immediately, unlike anywhere else where the data then goes into a black box, after you do it, you are able anytime to go to our website and you can log in and you can see the data. We have the most amazing designer. We, we speak a lot about how do you put feeling in design? We think there's something very powerful about letting people see in a very confined space toggles to their data and what data actually has access to where and the ability to, to toggle off. We think often trust is built just by giving people control. At the same time, what we think is kind of nice is I remember when we first met Packy, we, we spoke about a lot of companies are, are building passports for the internet. And, and we said, we're building visa stamps. So we're doing something where you're aware you're probably going to have to go to an embassy. You're going to have to talk to some people to do what you want to do. It's a more regulated thing. Our belief is that by starting there, people are going to be like, well, I want to get a loan or I, I want to get a bank account. I understand that I have to fill out a form. And we hope that by starting there and saying, you trusted us with your social, will you trust us now to do these other things? It is a much more transparent direction. So that's how we think a bit about it, which is one, we're, we're not, unlike you, I bookmark your Friday optimistic post because I need it. It injects life in me. At the same time, we, we try not to be naive in, in that we know part of why we're, we're a bit lucky and why we picked this wedge is that people have to do it anyway. But what we say is we don't want it to just be a, well, you know, if you're slinging your social around like candy, you might as well give it to We don't want to do that. At the same time, we want to say, given you have to do this, how can we make the experience better and how can we make you feel in control? You actually reframed the question in an interesting way, which is for something that everybody on the internet has to do all of the time, we're 13 years in, I guess, to Stripe launching now. Everything that gets done a lot on the internet has been turned into an API SDK or something. And yet this is still an opportunity that you're able to pursue in the year of our Lord 2022. <laughs> what makes it really hard to do this and why have people not done this before? Yeah, it's, it's tough because... When we sign up for one of these forms, we always give away like the same six attributes, including your SSN, your date of birth. And as many experts will tell you, those things are all available online in lots of different places. And so they're becoming these identifiers. The more we use them, they're becoming less valuable because anyone has access. So I think it would have been much easier to do this earlier because those attributes had more value in the sense that, you know, they weren't leaked all over the place. So the next best time to do it is now. But what lets us do this is that everybody has a mobile phone in their pocket. We're standing on the shoulders of giants, three of them, actually, Apple, Google, and Amazon. I mean, Apple and Google have built phones that have, you know, basically penetrated like all markets. Everyone has a smartphone that's internet connected. It's in their pocket. Things like Face ID and biometrics on the device, the fact that our iPhone or Android devices, they actually ship with crypto co-processors that are really good at storing cryptographic key material, far better than any station that existed before that. And it's convenient. It's always in your pocket. You can scan QR codes or camera on your phone. And then Amazon actually, you know, with US, they've innovated a ton. I talked a lot about it with, with Shane in our previous podcast, Everval, but the Nitro Enclave infrastructure, and by the way, it's not easy to deploy these. You need to understand systems cryptography and system security and cryptography and you know, building applications at scale, distributed systems. But the idea is that Amazon has spent hundreds of millions of dollars iterating on technology that lets you deploy code in these very secure, isolated environments that are network gapped, compute gapped. They're hardware tested. You can run signed code on them and verify that it's really your code that's running. And so we're standing on these shoulders to, to basically bring this technology to any company, any financial services company that 
needs to collect identity, they should be doing it using the most sophisticated technology. They should leverage Apple's and Google's biometrics, and they should leverage Amazon's enclaves to securely process that PI data. And we're sort of packaging it into one solution. And kind of the mo more important thing is that we're creating this identity that becomes portable so that we're solving that age-old problem. I have to enter my SSN every single time because it becomes less valuable. The idea is that you know, we, you enter it once and if we're successful in the longer term, we could maybe replace that so that you're not sending around SSNs to the IRS, you're sending around encrypted tokens and signatures. It's really tough to get the government to, you know, move, move towards that direction. And we're, we're trying to solve that problem kind of in the shorter term with, with our technology. And I get the sense that you're not going to say yes to this, but like the, you're probably at least in your age cohort, one of the best in the world at, at this particular thing. I mean, not a lot of people go to MIT and study math and CS. And I know, you know, Shane and the team at, at Everball, and I'd consider him like, you know, at least among the people I know up there here as well. If you're talking to Shane or like somebody else in this community, like what's the thing that you do that they're most impressed by? Or like, what do you guys nerd out on? And you can go too technical for Eli and I to understand here, just in case someone very technical is listening. I heard Shane say this on your podcast too, but like, Cryptography is really hard and, you know, it's a little bit easier for us, but it's actually still pretty hard for us. Like when I'm implementing something and spend hours researching it, you know, reading the latest papers on it, like has this algorithm, you know, does it have any holes, this implementation, is it rock solid, has it been audited? These are really hard things and any things that we can do to sort of reduce the attack surface area, deploying code in a secure way, making sure that you're using the right libraries. Things like SDKs that kind of make those smart decisions for you, that's pretty cool. And I think like what Shane and I would probably nerd out the most about is probably like the, the latest developments with Nitro Enclaves. It's funny because when we develop our Enclave logic and we're testing it, it, it's hard for us to debug that because we can't like, you can SSH into the box, but if there's an error, you can't access that. It has isolated storage, isolated CPU. You literally can't inspect what's going on there. And so you end up developing a lot of tools to like simulate that environment. And, and so I think it's cool that, that it's that, you know, a couple of guys, our age, gals, our age can just go and spin up this hardware and run it in 2022 is like pretty incredible. If you tried to do this in 2018, you would have spent hours on the phone ordering specific hardware parts, building your own data center. And then ultimately all of that failed because it didn't work like that. You know, it had a lot of, had a lot of flaws and they're broken by cryptographers that have nothing better to do, but to sit around break these things. And so we're at this point now where it's like, oh, I can deploy these things as easily as like, you know, 20 years ago, somebody could build a web application. Like that's how you the, yeah. the right corollary. How do you think about building the team? Like you guys are obviously very smart. I know you have a really high bar. I'll go beyond team building and you can include team building in this broader idea of company culture. How do you think about building a culture, the people that you bring in, all those things and how they fit together? Yeah, it, it's a great question. It's something we constantly think about. I think we look for a lot of soft skills. I think for us, empathy, humility, intellectual curiosity, things that really come out in person. We like doing reference calls on those things too. But I think it's important for us to bring together a group of people who fundamentally want to approach this, not just to build a smart enterprise tool, but people who are looking to truly make a difference. People who are approaching these problems, not with kind of a, a me first attitude, but, but, but an attitude of how, how can we help? And, and I think each of us, if you look at our makeup is a really diverse team and everybody I think has their own experience, whether it's me having people, in my family have health problems and, and me thinking, well, what if their daddy could help? It's Alex, his family really fled the Soviet Union and, and grew up with these concerns around privacy and surveillance. We've found the other team who, who 
she's, she's an immigrant and it, it, it's crazy that whenever she tries to do KYC to, to get an apartment, she failed every time. A lot of those stories. And I think it's everybody or it's people who built these systems at companies like Robinhood and Stripe who went through the pain and said, yeah, we, we had a team of a hundred and over two years build this and what a mess. And not every company can do that. We really want to bring in people who have a personal connection to, to this problem and have a personal connection to, to wanting to make it better for the right reasons. You have a pretty small but mighty team at this point. You talk about the fact that Robinhood and Stripe have 100 people working on this over a couple of years. And that's building specifically for their one company. Yours has to work with a lot of different companies. Like how? Are they just too bloated at Stripe and Robinhood? Yeah. Or is it is there something i mean like obviously the fact that you can tap into this infrastructure change but you know theoretically they would be able to use a lot of this infrastructure as well how are you able to do more with less and how are startups i guess generally able to do more with less yeah i mean well, well let's maybe not bring kpmg on the hundred claim but it, it's large too to say the least but like i think it's important. i think one it was several years ago that these companies built them internally i also think it this was what our team was specifically assembled people with these backgrounds in cryptography and with these modern tools. I also think we are greatly helped by all of the other technology companies out there too. Uh, one of my favorite pieces he's written is about RAMP and, and how, you know, there's a great quote I think given there from Logan maybe at Redpoint about how there's so many tools that we can just use off the shelf that makes everything easy. And we certainly feel the same, just as we're building something to help a lot of companies do their own, what they're best at better. We've been the beneficiary of a lot of companies doing that too. I also think the, the other thing is, because we've built something that's meant to be so scalable and we're not just solving something specifically to us, it becomes something that we're able to to deploy out. So I'd also say that. I'm going to take advantage of your transparency and, and just like, I don't know, I love the way that you answer questions. Like one, I'm an investor in the company. Tell me about the seed round or tell the audience about the seed round. But then how do you think about what you need to achieve to get to the A, the B, the C eventually and an exit? How do you plan all of that out? Yeah. So we're super lucky for the seed round. Shardul at Index led it. To us, we really wanted it from the start to say, we're, we're a security company. We don't want to be bucketed just with KYC companies. We have a ton of respect. We love the KYC companies. But when we first met Shardul, we were, we were blown away by how he, like us, saw this as a security problem. He, he like us, saw this idea of if you're securely storing the data and you're encrypting it and you're vaulting it and you're doing access control, you're actually in real time, not just doing continuous monitoring, but you're solving this identity verification. And he helped build incredible security companies like Wiz and Fireblocks and Coalition Data. So to us, it, it was just an incredible fit. And then ar around the table, we were just really lucky to be backed by a bunch of incredible seed funds like Box Group and Operator and Lair Hippo, people, you know, like, like you, Packy, who, I, as I told you when I first met, I, I truly was really inspired by all of your writing about, one, breaking down what companies do. I probably shouldn't say this, but I still go to Alex. I'm like, could you please explain to me how the Enclave works one more time? And, and I think that there is this barrier to entry on technology. But, you know, I, 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 as we think about sharing it with the people, there's another pattern. We also have Palm Tree and then a bunch of amazing angels we've looked up to, the founders of companies like Plaid, Ramp. We look up a lot to Ramp because we, we see Ramp as this company that took four different problems and put it in one. We tried to take a very similar approach where we took something that was done by four or five different tools and put it into one. And also the founders of companies like MoonPay and, and Kayak, JumpCloud. So we're, we're really excited to, uh, to announce that raise and continue to be humbled by the people who backed us. I think for, for us, what it looks like to get to the next round is, look, the market's changed. It's no longer a big vision. And we've decided to use website visitors as a proxy for forward-looking revenue. 
It was fun while it lasted. It was fun while it lasted. Look, just in case, I always have in my backpack a, a DocuSign for a contract, a POC, <laughs> and a Series A term sheet. So if anybody would like to use those metrics, I have it on, on hand. But I, I think for us, what it looks like it is right now to us as a seed company, it's not just about surviving. To us, if, if it's two years from now and, and we, we go back to 2021 multiples and, and we all do a celebratory dance in the rain and we've survived, I don't think that means much. To us, now, now's the time to be aggressive. We really want to show proof once with customers. We want to grow quickly. I think for us, it's getting some of the trusted companies and, and larger companies are time to start using the product. We do think that one good proxy is portable identities. Unlike other KYC companies, we actually have recurring revenue. We're a security company. So we charge it. We charge for our product, which offloads vaulting and encryption and access control and GDPR checklists, even SOC 2 in a way. If, if you're not storing any PII, you don't really have to make sure that you're doing things around PII. So if you're a Series A company, it, it starts out of a lot. Like SOC 2, when you combine like whatever company you use, I won't be a, an advertisement. And then the, the auditor, that's kind of 35K. You talk about vaulting, encryption, access control, GDPR checklist. That's up easily into the six figures and more. So for us, we, we sell a security product that's recurring per user per year, and then we charge per KYC event. So for us to get to the Series A, it, it's really having these proof points, one in portable identities, because that is the best forward-looking idea of this network effect, and that we think there are multiple escape velocities. And, and when we think about kind of what exits look like, we really think it depends on outside a lot of talks before we started it. And we want to have very honest conversations amongst ourselves at the statistical likelihood we'll get to the next escape velocity. For us right now, the one we're really looking towards is this idea of how many portable identities do we need to make it just a no-brainer, just put a footprint button on your website. For just the ups upside, even if you're not using us for a full KYC, if we have something in our system, why not just let them click a button, type in their email, do face ID, and be onboarded. And we're figuring out what their num that number is. We can give our guests. Our guests get somewhere between one and 10 million identities. So we then backtrack from there. And we look at our customer base and we say, okay, this company is adding 40,000 identities a month. So if we get four companies look like them over a year, how many like that do we need to get to escape velocity one? And I think that's how we think about the different milestones. And after that, there are a lot of things that are fun. We very much embrace partnership. I'll go back to my crusade investor update. I think a lot of companies either shy away from partnership or they pretend like they're not partners. Uh, there are a lot of companies in our space that say they do everything. And they just partner. We're very public. We're working with Argyle, for example, on income verification. And I think it's really cool that you can go into your footprint wall and you can click verify your income and then we'll go to Argyle and you'll have that attestation. That going forward, if you're going to apply for a loan, you're pre-KYC'd and you're actually pre-income like income verified. So you're pre-qualified. We're working with like Middesk on KYB tokens. I'm very jealous of all the engineers who had a problem in their lives and they solved it at the company. I'll never be able to do that. Uh, but I'm not smart enough. And I'm, Alex removes my access to the GitHub a lot. But for me, it's really annoying. You know, I have the KYB footprint. So I, I kind of managed to we, we, we out the mid desk. Like, we work together and we put a KYB token in your footprint wallet so you can go out and you can then in one pal swoop sign up for ramp for your company and, your, and yourself. Just, that's like escape velocity too. When we start putting credentials in the wallet to solve more things than just KYB. And to us, kind of that's like the next. And like the big things that we talk about one is if we are accessing and doing permissioning for a lot of people. And by that, I mean, this is like escape velocity three, which is tens of millions. At what point does it make sense to move to internal management and to integrate more with Salesforce and do a lot more things like that? And then there's then, when can we also start thinking moonshot? To me, my North Star metric from the beginning has been, can we actually reach a point where enough people trust us, where we can have quote unquote laws leaders per se. So in the era of profitability, this won't be for many years. But where we can do things where people can anonymously opt into the federated learning on their data, 
nothing would make me happier than if we had one of those success stories you see about Apple Health, where we were able to actually, based off just how people picked up their phone to do a face ID, if we could actually anonymously like tell their doctor, like, you should run a test. Or similarly, like, uh, I'm really proud of the work we've done, like, after the Dobbs decision, where, where we, we've offered to give away the footprint sign up for free to any women's health company. So that way, women can anonymously sign up. To me, it's, I want to keep having those bits of impact wherever we can along the way. And then from a company building standpoint, I think it's us being very intellectually honest about which escape velocity we're nearest, how likely are we to hit it, and what should our decision be as a result. I just got investor goosebumps. That was fantastic. Yeah. So I guess, how do you compare which escape velocity to go after, right? So one way to think about it is like, maybe if we just give this to companies for free, we'll get to 10 million users first, and then we'll start charging because we'll be so valuable that why not? Is that something that you might have done in 2021 and wouldn't do now? Or is that something that was off the table? How do you make a trade-off like that? Uh, if any crossover investors listening like that idea, my email is eli at onefootprint.com. <laughs> what I would say, I, I think our model would have, you could have done that with us because I, once you get to the portability, it really does become a no-brainer. That's it. I think there's a hybrid approach. And I think that's what we take, which is we, if you, when you speak to us about pricing, whether doing the rebate of credits, essentially, if you onboard a user, so there's, there's really a world where if you start using footprint and you onboard users for us, which means you just use us for KYC, you essentially get that KYC paid back for like three years, which we think is very powerful. And so I think that's one. Two, despite the ability to, to maybe just use nice VC money to, to subsidize it, I think there's a, a signal value of people, people paying for product. And I think if we come in and, and Alex, you said it's hard to humble, but but truly kind of built this incredible, it's now patent pending at Drunkly, but that if you tried to build three years ago, it would have been like $75 million in 10 years. If we just give that away for free, I would not trust that this is a high integrity product. So I, I think when we think about how we get there, it is a combination of one, we want to incentivize the network effect. We want to incentivize that w- w- with fair pricing. That said, our pricing, I, I think we're very aligned. It, I'll go back to the ramp analogy, maybe just because I'm trying to manifest this one, but we don't sell complexity. We have a lot of competitors who, who try to sell for edge cases. And I think it comes from their goal is to, they, they're a moment in time flagging fraud. So like, if you really care about fraud, you should throw everything here, throw the kitchen sink versus it shouldn't be like that for every startup. You know, we, we've not seen this universal adoption of driver's license scam. And it's something we, but it's something that we often tell customers, we're not sure if you need it. If you're going to feel more comfortable at night, and if you think the auditors will like it more, we'll do it for you. We have a lot of conversations. We're always in kind of continuous dialogue with Finn. But for us, we sell results. We sell the verification of good actors. We want to make it much easier for good people to get in the door. And our business model then is continuous monitoring and securing that information. So we really think that our pricing is reflective of that. We want to build trust with our customers too. We hear a lot of stories of companies come to us. And they're like, we had a breach. So we called up company X and we added two modules and extra 500 type spend. And it's just so nebulous. We try to take away buzzwords. Like we're not trying to sell people complexity. We want to just sell them a very meaningful product. I love that. If we're going to be talking about ramp so much, I mean, like, I don't know if you saw that a TechCrunch article today talking about the fact that last month was their best growth month of all time, despite the market conditions. How do you think about early growth on the enterprise side or the companies that are working with you? I understand the network effect will start going at some point. It'll be a no brainer, but like, from just day one, how do you get growth off the ground? How are you going out and selling? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I was I was talking to them earlier, congratulating them. They are a mystical unicorn and I continue to just be in amazement of what they do. We're happy customers, they're great. Look, there, there's definitely a window the past years where we could be sad, where it's every neobank and credit card in the world got funded and we could have been the KYC layer and we could have gotten all these identities. 
And yeah, some of them go under and so what? We have these portable identities. And, and that could have, but at the same time, the technology didn't exist. So, so that counterfactual doesn't exist for us. I think for us, it's about being realistic. We probably won't be able to do the wild hyper growth of what, what we saw was possible when you just raised like $40 million overnight. We, we think there's a road. But at the same time, we know our competitors who had similar trajectories that are much larger. Now we're going to have to deal with the same things we're dealing with. I think for us, we think about really still being very targeted in, in who we sell to. Net retention is this beautiful thing in that it can come from two ways. One is somebody's use of you growing, which for us happens naturally. Let's say a company has 10,000 new users a year and the next year they don't grow, they have 10,000. What's great is we're still getting revenue from storing and securing the data from year one and year two. But the second is companies are still going to grow and ramp's a great example of it. So for us, it, we often find that companies that are going to best sell must have the best appreciation for our product and we really want to grow. That's the other reason why we really hate on security. What's interesting, two, two of our really team members are amazing. They both came from Fast. I think that they are almost the biggest endorser of us not needing one click to happen tomorrow for us to be a successful company in that we remember meeting them for the first time and they're both amazing. We sent a lot of Twitter DMs to get them on the phone because they're like, we're not joining another one click company. But finally a, a DM was replied to it. For, for them, they're like, yeah, you're right. Like this is selling security. And if we sell the security really well, then we can get to the one click. So for us, I think it's how do we have a proper go-to-market that we're really focused on the wedge. We get asked a lot about broadening the scope and it's the weirdest thing in the world to say no to possible revenue. But for us, it's how do we be laser focused? And look, the market, we never know when it will change. So we want to make sure that we're doing all we can to be aggressive and to build this wedge. And at the same time, set up that opportunity for for when the moment comes or when that, that, that light switch hit that, that we're there. So we've talked about the types of customers that you're selling into and what they're looking for and what they might get out of Footprint. Where can people find you? Yeah, our website's onefootprint.com. We're on Twitter, footprint underscore HQ. Alex and I are available. Coffee, whatever you want. If you are a FinTech or a gig farm, if, if you got KYC or if you don't, if you'd like us at KYC, we're always there. We're on Twitter. I'm going to be trying to launch a Substack to compete with Packy. We, we all need to be humbled in life, and I will be getting that and, and then some. But look, at the end of the day, we really do have this, this mission of bringing back trust. And it's obviously a very competitive space. But our goal is to let people use the internet securely and safely. I think that's why we embrace partnership. Yes, there are competitors, but at the same time, we think we have a common goal. And that is to let people donate the internet and let people feel safe online. There's almost this idea that, you know, when you think, when, when you ask us about what, what does the world look like if Footprint successful, there's a lot of the things that we've spoken about, about better health data and better financial data. There's also this like sleeping giant of there's $56 billion of identity out the year. And in a way, it's kind of like this climate change. If somebody figures out a way to do carbon capture and lower the, the world's temperature by a degree Celsius, nobody's really going to know that, that they helped, but, but you saved a lot. And for us, it's similar. If we can take a meaningful piece out of that, I think we'll, we're very happy in we know that a lot of people have that same goal. So, so for us, we're, we're friendly, we're here, and we really just want to make a difference. And I'm going to ask you one more hard question before I let you go and, and turn it over to Alex to close. What's one lesson that you learned from the process that you're applying to building Footprint? Yeah, I, I tell the story about my freshman orientation at, at school. We're on this hiking trip. There was like a solo hike at one point. And long story, I ended up a half mile off the trail. And th this was problematic because the school took our cell phone and it would have been very tough for them to find me where I was. I was lucky in that I, I was the only kid I gave in a fake phone at the beginning. So I, I took out my real phone 
and took me like 30 minutes to get cell signal, called the cops. And they got me like 12 hours later, like a little after sunset. And the story, I, I think it was like, oh, like after that, I'm not afraid of anything or after that, bring on the world. But it was a very humbling story about hubris. And the reason I ended up off the road is because I went the wrong way to fork and I dead ended. And instead of doubling back, I decided I was going to hypotenuse across, which I highly recommend against doing, especially in Lassen National Forest. To me, it was, a, it was a story that to build a successful company, you need to have no ego and you need to bring, you need to bring the best people around and, and ask for help and be honest. Part of the investor updates are honest because we have a lot to learn and we need help with a lot. And I think that's how we've approached the team. When I met Alex, like five minutes into the first Zoom, I was like, this is the person I want to build this company with and how we've built out the team. For me, building it, there's this weird paradox in that the spotlight's on. But at the same time, I really do mean it when I say it is a team sport. And, you know, I think that's how we approach our customers too. And that we, we know we come in, we know a lot about the space, but we would try to approach people with, with that humility and empathy because I don't want to get lost in the forest again. And I think the way to do that is to doing it with the right people and for the right reasons. Beautiful. And Alex, this is your second time doing this. What did you learn the first time that you're applying here that you think anybody starting a company can apply? The thing I learned probably the most is that it's best to surround yourself with people that are really different for me. Like you, you asked, you had a question about, you know, the investor updates. Like I wouldn't have never an investor update <laughs> like that. But that's why I love that Eli does it because like, I would never think of something like that. Another kind of tie into a question you asked earlier is what do we look for in, you know, team members that we bring on and it's just something different, something that nobody else has. And I think that that's, it's easy to take for granted if you ha you're hiring, you know, a bunch of people from one company or, you know, if you don't find people with enough different backgrounds. And when we talk to customers too, like one thing that has been amazing to hear is not amazing, I guess it shows the, the problem that we have in front of us, but how messy and of an unsolved problem, things like KYC, identity verification, even security, you know, storing data. It's, there's just so many unsolved problems in the space. The truth is that the amount of companies that are entering the space is growing faster than the amount of the number of solutions that are coming in from companies like Footprint. And so there's so much more to learn if you just look for people and companies and perspectives that are very different from yours and embrace that. For me, that's what, what we look for. I think in my first company, it was very much like a team of engineers trying to solve an engineering problem. And we built an interesting technology, but I think with, with Footprint, the goal is to really build something massive and apply a new way of thinking to something that has been solved pretty much the same way for the past 10 plus years. And it's the problem is only getting worse because there are more people, there's more fintech companies, and there are more database dumps that include your social security card number. Eli and Alex, this was so much fun. I wish that I had the money to just get that Series A term sheet out of your backpack and <laughs> sign it. But this was an awesome conversation. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Bobby.